If you have a copy of uh, God's Word, uh, I would encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 4. If you don't, you can follow uh, along in the bulletin uh, or on the screens uh, that are behind us. Uh, For the past couple weeks, if you've been with us, you'll know that we have been looking at uh, covenants uh, throughout the Scriptures. Um, And we define that word covenant really as uh, the terms in which God relates to His people. And we've tried to look at the, at the foundation of those covenants. So we've spent a couple weeks um, looking at the book of Genesis, and we'll spend another week or two looking in there, and then we'll start to accelerate more uh, throughout the Old Testament scriptures looking uh, at this idea of covenants. Uh, but because we've spent uh, a lot of time in this passage, several of you have uh, come and encouraged me to go uh, watch an old movie that was made uh, in 1955 called East of Eden. Uh, it starred James Dean and was a, a very popular movie. And uh, I couldn't find it on Netflix, so I didn't get the, the chance to watch it. So I did the next best thing, and I ordered the book. Uh, the book East of Eden was written by uh, John Stenbeck. And I, I figured, I ordered it on Monday, and I figured, well, I'll just power through the book and get it read by my sermon on Sunday. Uh, but then I was surprised to get the book on Tuesday, and it was 600 pages. And I said, I'm not sure. I'm not sure this is quite going to happen. So I was pretty proud of getting through 200. So uh, I won't ruin the end to any, for anybody, but I'm still working my way through it. Uh, Stenbeck wrote this book uh, towards the end of his life. Uh, he called it his uh, uh, magnum opus. Uh, and really, it's a story about a family um, and particularly uh, brothers. And it was really designed uh, by Stenbeck to, to really mimic the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, And that's why the book is called The East of Eden, which, as you read our passage this morning, uh, is the setting uh, of this narrative about Cain and Abel. God's people, as we saw last week, uh, had been cast out of the Garden of Eden. And so the setting of today's passage is the East of Eden. So I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain, a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. 
Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for what it teaches us about the nature of life. Um, but more than anything, what it teaches us about how to be in a relationship with you. So Father, I pray as we look at at this, one of the oldest uh, stories in all the scriptures, that it would be instructive to us about your character, about your patience, about your loving kindness, about how you relate to us as humans. But more than anything, Father, we pray that we would hear your voice and that you would grow in our love and affection for you as we encounter your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, If you were with us last week, again, we saw, uh, we looked at the story of Adam and Eve, and we saw uh, how originally they were called by God uh, to do lots of things, to be fruitful, um, to multiply, and what we saw in that is that they were called by God uh, to build culture. All the elements that come from culture, architecture, arts, uh, literature, civilization, all those pieces um, were uh, called to Adam and Eve in order to build. It was their role, it was their responsibility, and they were to build culture in such a way that it would glorify God. This was uh, the covenant of creation uh, that God engaged with them in terms of his relationship. And what we saw shortly thereafter is that Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation of sin, they fell, and so what we discover is that that call was distorted. It was disrupted by the entrance of sin, and yet that call upon their lives still remained. They were still called to build culture. Now, if you think about um, culture and civilization, um, you can think about it in kind of several layers. Um, We live in a country that has its own unique culture, its own uh, unique arts and literature and language and all the pieces that go along with culture. And those those cultures are made with building blocks, right? We live in a country. um, Within our country, there are states. Within states are districts. Within districts are these these things called cities. And as you look at cities, cities are, are built with neighborhoods and neighborhoods are built by families. And one of the things that I think we always have to come to terms with when it comes to culture is that one of the most basic building blocks of culture is this institution that we call the family. That cultures, they started with a family, with that first family, and family rem- families remain the primary shapers of culture. And I think in many ways, this is what uh, makes life in Baltimore particularly uh, difficult. Uh, We, of course, want to change many of the cultural things, much of the narrative of Baltimore City. And a lot of people think that 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 culture can be changed by broad uh, sweeping uh, reform or by programs. Uh, But at the end of the day, culture is shaped at the grassroots level through the changing and the shaping of families. 
And one of Baltimore's biggest problems is the breakdown of the families, which becomes the most basic building block of culture. If you look at our city, the rates of broken families, uh, the rates of fatherlessness in Baltimore City are staggering. And often kids that don't have uh, stable families or even stable fathers look for different alternatives. And things like gangs and the drug trade are more than happy to welcome kids. It's one of the really sad facts of life here in Baltimore City. So many of the problems that we deal with day in and day out have to do with the breakdown of the family and the lack of fathers in particular. And that's why uh, organizations like the Center for Urban Families that operates in West Baltimore, those organizations are so important here in our city to fill in some of those gaps. Well, as we think about the family, we then come to Genesis 4. And what we see here in real time is that the effect that sin has upon a family. In fact, the most important family, that first family, the most basic building block of culture. And what we see is that Adam and Eve uh, felt the impact of sin individually in each one of their lives, but now we begin to see how sin is particularly damaging in their family. And we see this in Genesis 4. We see that sin is not just a vertical crisis between humanity and God, but sin also has a, a horizontal implication, and it introduces a horizontal crisis in this first family. And so there's really three chapters to this story, three simple chapters. The first chapter, of course, is Cain's sin. And we read about that in, in verses 1 to 6 of Genesis chapter 4. The passage tells us that both Cain and Abel uh, come before God bringing sacrifices. We learn that Abel was a worker with livestock and Cain was a worker of the land or a farmer. And they both bring a, a sacrifice, a sacrificial offering to God, which was to be their uh, expression of worship. And what we learn is that Abel's offering was acceptable before God, but Cain's was not. Now, for centuries, people, I think, have been speculating as to why one brother's sacrifice was acceptable and the other's was not. We've asked questions. Was Abel's uh, ex uh, sacrifice acceptable because it was the firstborn, because blood was spilled, or because the fat portion was added? Uh, was, was Cain's sacrifice rejected because it was only fruit that he offered to God? And I think at the end of the day, we really don't know. The passage doesn't really tell us. All we know is that one was accepted and the other was rejected. We can wonder, was uh, Abel's heart in the right place and Cain's heart was in the wrong place? After all, we know that, that God is always concerned with the heart that is behind worship, not just going through the motions or the ritual of worship. But at the end of the day, we still don't know. Maybe it was another reason. Maybe God chose to just show favor to one and not the other, regardless of the substance of the circumstance. We just don't know. But either way, we know God's response and we know that Cain wasn't particularly happy about God's response to their sacrifice. He wasn't just happy, unhappy, the passage tells us. He was furious. He was angry with God because his sacrifice was not acceptable. Now, Ephesians tells us that we are, 
to be, to be angry, but not to sin within our anger. It says in Ephesians 4, 26, be angry and do not sin. And what it reminds us is that anger is very much a part of the human experience. We all experience it. We've all probably experienced it multiple times this week in all sorts of different capacities. But what we also recognize is that anger has the propensity to lead to sin, that it isn't necessarily sinful, but when we are feeling angry, the propensity to sin in our hearts is very high. And that's why God says to Cain in verse 7, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, Cain decides instead to sin with his anger. He ignores God in the midst of his rage, and we know that later on he goes and he kills his brother Abel. And so we see anger, we see rivalry, we see jealousy, and we see violence all come together in this act of murder. And when you think about it, this first family experiences a death for the very first time because the life of Abel has been taken away. And so we see the first chapter is sin. The second chapter of this story is God confronting Cain with the consequences of his sin. And we see that in verses 9 to 14. If you read Genesis 4 and you read Genesis 3, you'll see patterns that begin to play out. And these similar patterns show up in Genesis chapter 4. And it reminds us that the the sins of the father always are particularly uh, evident in the sins of the son. So just as God came in the garden to Adam and Eve asking them questions, God comes to Cain and he asks him questions. He says, Cain, where is your brother Abel? He says, what have you done to your brother? Now, Cain, in this moment, is still pretty angry. He's still hot with anger. So he snaps back at God saying, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And so what we see in his heart is that his anger, yes, gave birth to murder, but his anger is now giving birth to all sorts of other things. In particular, it's given birth to a selfishness. He is angry at God. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's responsibility. And it's a reminder that that's exactly what sinful selfishness does to all of us. It just simply pays no mind to the responsibility that we are given by God to love our neighbor and, in particular, our first neighbors, our family. You see, what I think God is doing here is I think God is trying to to build a bridge towards reconciliation with Cain. But what you see in Cain in his anger is that all he wants to do is to burn the bridge. He wants nothing to do with reconciliation. He just wants to burn that bridge. There's no repentance in his heart. There's no sort of shame, no sort of sorrow for his sin. There's no grieving over what he has done. He is refusing any accountability for his brother, any accountability for his sin. And so what you see is that the pollution of sin is getting deeper in this next generation, the children of Adam and Eve. And so because of this lack of repentance, there are all sorts of consequences for Cain. 
There are always consequences when it comes to sin. We often forget about that. We think we can kind of sin in silence and in hiding, and there won't be any sort of consequences. But there are always consequences that come from our sin. And if you look at the consequences for Cain, you see that they are very similar to the consequences that God gave to Adam for his first sin. Only it appears as if God is in some ways turning up the volume to those curses that were given to Adam. He says to to Cain, the ground will be even harder for you to work. It shall no longer yield to you its strength. And we see also that just as Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden, so now Cain is going to face his own exile as well. Not only is he exiled from the garden, but he's going to be exiled from his family. He will be alienated. He will be estranged. God says to him, you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And so what we see here is profound. This first family, this first family has now become a broken family. One child has now become estranged and exiled from the rest of his family. After God pronounces these these consequences to Cain, finally we see him being broken. We see him being broken over what has happened. He doesn't seem to necessarily be broken over his sin, but he seems broken over the consequences. And that sounds like a discussion I've had with my kids several times, and many of you have probably had with your kids as well, seeing them be grieved over the consequences of their mistakes or missteps rather than the sin or the misstep itself. But let's be honest, we adults, are we really that much different, right? We get just as frustrated over the consequences. And so the the question asked and that we ought to ask ourselves as we look at Cain's life is how do we grieve over our sin? When our sin has been exposed to us, either by God or by someone else, how do we grieve over it? Do we grieve over our sin because we've offended God, our divine parent? Or are we grieving because we've hurt other people in the process of our sinning? Or are we just grieving because we are upset over the consequences of our sin? The scriptures have a term for this that it fleshes out later. It says this is the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And what you see in Cain is, yes, a brokenness over his sin, but Cain is only upset over the consequences. And the scriptures call this a worldly sorrow, just upset about the consequences rather than a godly sorrow, which really thinks deeper about our sin. But what's so remarkable about this is that even though Cain is unrepentant, even though Cain's only upset about the consequences, even though Cain is still a mess and still hot with anger and frustration over his brother and over God, what does God do? God still comes to him graciously. And that's what really the third chapter of this story is all about. We see the sin, we see the the confrontation, we see the consequences, but then finally what we see at the last few verses is in many ways a covenant, God coming to Cain graciously. We see it in verses 15 and 16. Now, I don't want you to call the, the, the heretic police on me. 
Um, because no one has ever really, well, I'm sure somebody has, but very few people have looked at this passage and said that God is making a covenant with Cain, or they've talked about uh, a covenant with Cain. Uh, But in many ways, we could loosely consider it that. Because if a covenant is God coming in grace to set the terms with a relationship with humanity, then that's loosely what we see happening here with Cain as well. Because despite all of Cain's sin, God still comes to him making promises to this sinful man. See, Cain being broken is finally captured by fear. He comes before God with his fear, fear for his own life, fear for his own neck. And so what does God do? God comes to Cain making all sorts of promises, promises of protection. And Cain is is even given a sign of his covenant with God. And that sign is a mark that is on his forehead. And that mark was a sign that God would protect him and preserve his life no matter how harsh and dangerous the circumstances of his life would become. In no way does Cain deserve this sort of protection from God. In fact, I think he's still furious with God over this whole narrative, and yet God still comes in grace, promising to protect Cain. And what we learn later is that God was faithful to his promises to Cain. In the second half of Genesis chapter 4, we see that Cain prospers in the rest of his life. Sure, he's exiled from his own family, uh, but then he's able to build his own family, and he actually becomes a founder of the first city that's mentioned in all of the scriptures. And so what you see is that God's grace remained with Cain for the remainder of his life, not because Cain deserved it, but because God, by his very nature, is gracious, coming and making promises. So even in this tragic story of the disruption and the carnage of sin in the first family, we see that God's grace is everywhere. It's over every page of the scripture. It's over every relationship that he has. I've always found verse 10 uh, in this chapter to be particularly instructive, or at least to hint at God's gracious nature. It says this, and the Lord said, what have you done? He's saying this to Cain. He says to Cain, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. What God is saying here is that Abel's blood spoke condemnation to Cain. The blood was there to condemn him. Remember back in your English literature classes when you had to read Macbeth, right? And there was uh, in that Shakespeare class, Lady Macbeth, what did it say? She couldn't get the blood off of her hands because they were a filthy witness of sin in her life. Well, that's true of Cain as well. Abel's blood condemned Cain. It was crying out condemnation for God to hear. But here's what's beautiful about the gospel is the later the gospel tells us this, that the blood of the Messiah was shed, but that blood was not shed for condemnation, 
but instead it was shed for forgiveness because his blood doesn't bring guilt like the blood of Abel's did. His blood frees us from that guilt. Hebrews 12 says the very same thing. It reminds us that Jesus was the mediator of a new covenant. It is his blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, friends, we all are like Cain. We all stand condemned with blood on our hands because of our sin. Maybe we haven't murdered somebody, but we've all given in to the sin that lies crouching at the door, and that sin condemns us before a holy God. But what the gospel tells us this, is this, that's exactly why Jesus Christ came. It's exactly why he shed his blood so that we don't have to stand condemned before a holy God. We can be forgiven. You see, Abel's blood meant guilt. All of our sin means guilt, but Christ's blood cries out with the word grace. Let's pray.